and go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 17. Vamos a ir esta noche a Genesis capítulo 14, verso 17. Last week we talked about fighting the good fight of faith. How many of you have been fighting the good fight? And we saw how Abraham was a crosser. The word Hebrew means one who crosses, a crosser. And how Abraham's life was marked by crossing from one stage or one level into the next. And the, the, the book of Genesis relates that Abram faced an army quite larger than him, his own army. He had 300 men. And yet God gave him the victory in the battle. How many of you know God gives us victories in battle? Even though outnumbered and uh, certainly uh, outarmed, maybe even outtrained, when God is on your side, you can't lose. Abraham fue a la guerra, vimos la semana pasada, y se enfrentó a un ejército mayor que él, más grande que él, pero cuando Dios está peleando por ti, no puedes perder. La guerra uh, está en las manos de Jehová y la batalla va a ser ganada por él. And so tonight I want us to look at the scene just after the battle. Vamos a ver la escena de la vida de Abraham después de esta batalla. We find in Genesis chapter 14 verse 17. Then after his return from the defeat of the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Chavez, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him the tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal or anything that is yours. For fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young man, young men, I should say, have eaten, and the share of the men who went with them. Let them take their share. And I want to uh, teach on these few verses of Scripture tonight. If you would, let us pray. Father, we pray tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of the congregation, both here and online, that as we hear the word, we might be changed by it, and that we might be informed by it, and that we might be transformed. I ask that the light of the word would come into the darkness of our understanding. Give us light that we might walk in the light. We pray your anointing upon us as we hear the word tonight. In Jesus' name, church said amen. 
Amen. I want to make three observations, three principles that we see in this text tonight. Vamos a ver esta noche tres principios que vemos en este pasaje de la escritura esta noche. Son importantes para la vida de el caminar cristiano. These are important principles in the Christian's walk. And last week we saw that Abram was going into a battle and he went in by faith. He went in to the good fight of faith, we saw. La semana pasada vimos como Abraham entró a una batalla, la buena batalla de la fe. And this battle was a battle that he would have to fight and that he would have to wage according to the strength that God provided. Esta sería una batalla que Dios le daría. Uh, él tendría que depender de la fuerza que Dios le daría. Y esta noche, uh, el primer principio vamos a encontrar aquí después de la batalla. After the battle, God shows up in Abram's life. Después de la batalla, Dios aparece en la vida de Abraham. And so, I want to talk about the uh, principle of God's presence. Quiero hablar un momento sobre el principio de la presencia de Dios. I want you to notice that God was with Abraham before the fight. God was with Abram during the fight. And God was with Abram after the fight. Alright, so say that with me. With me before the fight. Unless God is with you before the fight, you won't have the courage to get into the fight. And to take on a spiritual battle, you're going to need faith. You're going to need the courage that comes from God. And so God is with you before the fight. But you know, the God of Israel was not a go-and-fight kind of God. He was the God who went with his people into battle. And so then we see that God is not only with me before the fight, but God is with me in the fight. So say that with me. God is with me in the fight. If you're in a fight tonight, if you're in a fight this season of your life, guess what? You're not alone. Si usted está en una batalla ahorita en su vida espiritual o su vida económica o su vida relacional, su vida familiar, quiero decirle que Dios está con usted en la batalla. If you're fighting the good fight of faith, you're not fighting it alone. The enemy would like to tell you that you're alone. He would like to tell you that you're defeated. He would like to tell you that you have no way of succeeding. But if he could have stopped you, he would have already. The reason you're still standing is because God is in the fight with you. And uh, the Bible speaks about one of the names of God is that the Lord is there. Uh, uno de los nombres de Dios en la Biblia es Jehová está ahí. Say that word with me, there. Where is God? There. Wherever you are, God is there. Listen, if you're going through a valley, the Lord is there. If you're on a mountaintop, the Lord is there. If you're going through a season of lack, the Lord is there. If you're going through a season of hospitalization, the Lord is there. If you go through a season of expecting a, a miracle, the Lord is there. In every season, God is the God who is there. Este nombre que significa que Jehová está ahí, nos da a entender que Dios está ahí en todas las etapas de nuestra vida. Pero ese nombre se relaciona hacia la guerra. It is not only that the Lord is there, but it is a name that identifies God with 
but the fact that He is in the midst of our battles. He is in the midst of our warfare as believers. And so Abram discovers that on the battlefield. We talked about that last week. But tonight I want you to see that God is there after the battle. Dios está ahí después de la batalla. And let me just pause for a moment and encourage you that there will be an after the battle. Because some of you are thinking I'm going to die in the fight. But I want to tell you, with God, there's an after the fight. So say that with me. God is with me after the fight. Right now, you can't even think about after the fight. Because all you can think about is, is the fight. But when you're done with this fight, God says there will be a season after. Say amen, somebody. No season ever lasted forever. Listen, no winter ever lasted forever. No fight ever lasted forever. And so there is a season after this. So if you're going through a, a hardship, you're going through a challenge, you're going through a moment where things aren't adding up quite yet, just wait on God. Because on the other side of this, there will be an encounter with a new place, a new, a new uh, dimension, a new level of God in your life. Después de la guerra, después de la batalla, Dios se le aparece a Abraham, dándonos a entender que tenemos un futuro más allá que la guerra, más allá que el problema que a veces enfrentamos. Entonces, uh, cuando vemos a Abraham, podemos imaginar, we can imagine that Abraham is returning from this battle, and I imagine that Abraham is tired, He's worn out because he's already uh, up in age. And uh, he's also just fought a, a fight. And he won. And no matter what anybody can tell you, winning is expensive. Winning costs you something. No, no importa lo que diga nadie, siempre si usted gana, va a haber un costo para ganar. Some people want to win without a cost. But there is a cost involved in winning. All right. If you win a football game, you're going to be tired at the end of the game. Say amen, somebody. If you win a basketball game, you're going to be tired at the end of the game. If you win at anything in life, it's going to cost you something. Uh, ganar cuesta. That's why a lot of people don't win. Because they don't want to pay the price to win. Mucho nunca ganan porque no quieren pagar el precio de ganar. But when I look at you and I see winners, I see that there was a cost that had to be paid in order for you to win. Listen, don't ever be jealous of somebody that's financially winning. Because you got to think about what price did they pay to get where they're at. Say amen, somebody. And if you look at somebody whose marriage is winning, I can guarantee you there was a price that had to be paid. And if you look at somebody who's winning in the ministry, guess what? There was a price that had to be paid. What do you mean, Pastor? That means when, when you decide to win, you have to decide what you're not going to do, what's going to be cut out, what you're going to sacrifice, what you're going to leave out. Because you can't do it all and win. There's a cost to winning. Hay un costo que viene con ganar. And often that's where people get discouraged because the price seems too much. Por eso a veces se desaniman a las personas porque piensan el costo es mucho. The price of winning 
the spiritual battle uh, of faith is too high, Pastor. I don't know uh, if I could stay encouraged all along. Let me just tell you, God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Dios es el que da el galardón, es el galardonador de los que le buscan. So tell your neighbor, pay the price. Uh, you guys were weak on that one, all right? I want you to try again. Tell them, pay the price. Listen, good things cost what they cost. Cheap things go on sale. But good things cost what they cost. I don't know. Y'all feel like y'all don't, y'all don't want to receive that. Say that with me. Good things cost what they cost. Look, the good stuff, the good purses, they don't go on sale, do they, ladies? It costs what they cost. The good clothes cost what they cost. That's why we go to Fias. What's that, Pastor? That's why we go to the discount store. That's why we go to the thrift store because in there, they don't cost what they cost. There's a discount. Listen, if you want something good in your life, it's going to cost what it's going to cost. And that cost might be having to sacrifice, maybe not eating out all the time. To get through this season, maybe uh, not not uh, doing the things you want to do, so you can do the things. Sometimes you have to do the things you have to do, so later you can do the things you want to do. I don't know what you're w wanting to win in, but there's going to be a cost involved. What I want you to, what I want to pull you toward, is that at the end of that, there is a a place where God shows up in your life and lets you know it was worth the cost. Cuando usted está dispuesto a pagar el precio para ganar, Dios está al otro lado de la batalla para decirte que es uh, el precio era digno de él y que usted va a recibir el galardón de lo que ha uh, sacrificado o lo que ha dado. Let me tell you, God is a good accountant and he always pays, and he pays good. Say amen, somebody. God is just. Dios es justo. Dios es, uh, es justo para recompensar. Entonces, si usted piensa, va a costar mucho servir a Dios. Al otro lado de la batalla, usted va a decir, lo pagaría otra vez. When you get on the other side of the battle, you're going to say, you know what, I would pay that again. When you see your children succeeding, you say, I would pay that again. I would go through that again just because of the glory that God brings into your life when you come into that place of triumph. And so Abram has come into that place of triumph and God shows up in his life. Now the Bible tells us that a man, and he's really a mysterious figure in the Bible, appears to him. Uh, this is the and the man named Melchizedek, right there in verse 18. En el verso 18, vemos que se le aparece a Abraham un personaje llamado Melchizedek. Now, from the text, we know that Melchizedek is the king of Salem. And he, uh, this means that he is the king of peace. We also know that Melchizedek is not only a king, but he's also a priest. Of the Most High God. Melchizedek no es solamente un rey, es el rey de Salem, que significa paz. 
pero también es el rey, o perdón, el sacerdote del Dios Altísimo. Now, you and I have an advantage that Abraham didn't have. All right? in, the, in the time of Abraham, Abraham did not have a Bible. All that Abraham got, had was the leading of the Spirit, the voice of God. But you and I have an advantage. Guess what we have? We have a Bible. So if we want to know who is this Melchizedek, we can go in our Bible and find out. How many of you have a Bible? All right, then I want you to go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hold your place in Genesis, but go to Hebrews chapter 7. Si usted tiene su Biblia, puede ir a Hebreos capítulo 7, pero mantenga su lugar ahí en Génesis. Porque vamos a hacer la pregunta, ¿Quién es este Melquisedec? ¿Quién es este personaje? Well, the Bible tells us in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1. Hebrews is in your New Testament. All right, did you find it? Say amen if you found it. It says, this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, listen now, these are all clues as to who he is. He is the king of righteousness, and also the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But made like the son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now, Hebrews tells us who this was that encountered uh, Abram uh, after the slaughter of the kings. We're told that he is a king. And he is the king of peace and the king of righteousness. We're also told that he has no father, no mother, no genealogy. That means no family tree, uh, no, no uh, a, a family background, as it were. He has uh, no beginning of days nor the end of life. And he is made like the Son of God and remains a priest forever. Now, who do you think we're talking about? What does that sound like? We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the king of righteousness. Say amen, somebody. I'm going to try that again. Jesus is the king of righteousness. If you want righteousness, who do you have to go to? Cristo Jesús es el rey de justicia. Listen, you and I tonight, if you're in Christ, you are righteous before God. That means that the moment you come to Christ, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and God declares you righteous. As if you had never sinned before in your life. When God looks at you, he can't see your past anymore. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. Somebody should get happy about that. Somebody's sweating. It's like, whew. The devil might want to bring up your past. Your neighbor might want to bring up your past. Your ex might want to bring up your past. But as far as God is concerned, when God looks at you, he sees perfect righteousness. Yeah, celebrate that. Come on, celebrate the, the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Cuando Dios ve a un cristiano lavado en la sangre de Cristo, él ya no ve sus pecados, sino ve la perfecta justicia de Jesús. Él ve la perfección de Jesús. Él ve la uh, ino, uh, inocencia de Jesús en usted. Y lo ve usted como justo. God sees you as righteous. Say that with me tonight. God sees me as righteous in Christ. Jesus is the king of righteousness. Jesús es el rey de justicia. Not only that, but he is the king of peace. The book of Isaiah calls him the prince of peace. Él es no solamente el rey de justicia, pero también es el rey de paz. Listen, when Jesus is king in your life, there will be peace in your life. Cuando Jesús está reinando en tu vida, va a reinar la paz. Listen, you can be in a storm, and if Jesus is in your life, there will be peace. Everybody else will be panicking. You'll have peace. Si usted está en una tormenta, y Jesús está con usted en la tormenta, va a haber paz. And listen, if Jesus comes into your life and there isn't peace in your life, he'll bring peace into your life. Cuando Jesús entra a nuestra vida, él trae la paz. He is the king of peace. That's why he calmed that storm in the Sea of Galilee. And what was his word? Peace. Be still. Sit down. That's what he told the storm. Sit down and shut up. And the lake said, yes, sir. You see, You need Jesus in your life, don't you? Aren't you glad Jesus shows up after the battle too? He's the king of peace, but then we're told that he has no beginning of days nor end of life. He is an eternal person. No tiene principio de días ni fin de vida. Es un ser perpetuo, un ser eterno. Él no tiene padre ni madre, genealogía. He has no father or mother. As far as the natural man, Jesus, we know that he was born in Bethlehem. His mother is Mary. But the man uh, or the person uh, 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 of the, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, has no beginning of days nor end of life. Nobody made the Son of God. He has always been the Son of God. And he became a man. And we call that man Jesus. But listen, Before Bethlehem, before the wise men, before all of the Christmas story, the Son of God existed with God as God forever. And he's going to exist forever. That's who you received into your heart, the eternal God that came into your life. And he remains a priest Forever. Now, if you want to underline that word priest, that's important too. Él es un sacerdote perpetuo. Say that with me. Perpetual priest. What does the word perpetual mean? Forever. La palabra perpetuo es para siempre. Algo que es para siempre. You would like to have a perpetual paycheck, wouldn't you? ¿Cuántos quieren un pago perpetuo? Beneficios perpetuos. Well, the Bible said that Jesus is a perpetual priest. Now, we don't have a priest anymore. I'm not a priest 
uh, to you because all of us are priests before God. But the role of a priest is to stand between God and man. And Jesus is our priest. That means he stands between God and us forever. That's why when you pray, you're actually sending your prayers through Jesus to the Father. Jesus said when, uh, when you pray, pray like this. Pray in my name. Why? Because you can't get anything from God outside of Christ. Jesus is the priest. He's the intercessor between you and the Father. Jesús es el sacerdote. Él es el intercesor entre usted y el Padre. Entonces, para recibir algo del Padre, usted tiene que venir mediante el intercesor. And so, if you come to God on, your, on the basis of your righteousness, he's not going to let you in. There's no access. Si usted viene a Dios a base de su propia justicia, Dios no lo va a dejar entrar, no le va a dar acceso a su presencia. Pero si usted viene a Dios mediante la justicia de Jesús, ahora tiene acceso. However, if you come to God on the basis of Christ's righteousness, now you have access. That's why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Por eso oramos en el nombre de Jesús. Because it's not just that that's the name demons recognize. That is the name demons recognize. And they tremble at the name of Jesus. But it is the name that the Father recognizes. Es el nombre que el Padre reconoce. So listen, if you go to God tonight and say, Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. And in Pastor Isaac's name, I pray all of these wonderful things. The Lord's going to say, who's that? If you say, I pray this in the name of Kingsway Church, who? I pray this in the, on my merits and my good works, what? But if you come in the name of Jesus, I said, if you come in the name of Jesus, the doors swing open. Si usted viene y ora en el nombre de Jesús, se abren las puertas del cielo y los demonios tienen que huir. And demons flee from before you because of the power of the person and the name of Jesus Christ. So who is it that came out, back to Genesis now, who is it that came out to meet Abram? Jesus. ¿Quién es el que vino a, a, al encuentro con Abraham? Es Jesús. Now, I can tell the, the wheels are turning. Boy, wait a minute, Pastor. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and uh, Matthew is way over here in the middle. And Jesus wasn't born until the book of Matthew. So how could Jesus show up in Genesis, if he wasn't born yet. Well, the man, Jesus, wasn't born until the book of Matthew. But the Son of God existed from before time. That's why when uh, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. Jesús le dijo a los fariseos, antes que Abraham fuese, Yo soy. 
Now, someone could say, Jesus, that's bad grammar. You're supposed to say, before Abraham was, I was. But Jesus was letting them know that he was the I am before Abraham ever was. He was saying, I am. I am the Son of God in the past, the present, and the future. In all of eternity, I am the Son of God. I am God. Jesús les estaba dando a entender que Él era el gran yo soy. Antes que Abraham fuese, yo soy. Para Él no hay pasado ni no hay futuro. Él es siempre por la eternidad. So I want you just to get this in your mind because that's what is uh, uh, what what Abram is ex experiencing is nothing less than a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. Abraham está teniendo un encuentro con el Hijo de Dios antes de la encarnación. You just have to think about why is that. ¿Por qué será eso? Is it, is it uh, because, because there was a schedule, because there was an agenda? Perhaps all those things are true. But I think it's because God saw the faith of his servant Abram. He saw the win that he had just encountered. He saw the battle that he had just fought. And God showed up in his life in a way that Abram had never seen before and in a way that Abram did not expect so that God could show up in his life and let him know, Abram, I am your God and I am with you and I will not leave you. You're not alone. You have paid the price and it was worth it. Tell your neighbor, it's going to be worth it. You see, uh, when when... Abram has this encounter with Melchizedek. He doesn't even really know who he's meeting. And what I want you to see in that is in this principle of presence is that God is there before, he's there during, he's there after. But you don't always know how he's there. You see, sometimes we expect God to work the same way as he did last time. Last time, I rubbed my hands together. I prayed. I squinted my eyes real tight. The Lord showed up. A dove landed on my windowsill. And then you think, okay, now I got to go at it again. No dove. You see, God doesn't want you to get a formula. He wants you to get him. Dios no quiere que usted se enamore con una fórmula de cómo Él hace las cosas. Él quiere que usted se enamore con Él, que lo busque a Él. Entonces, Él no siempre va a hacer lo mismo como lo hizo antes. Think about it. Sometimes a blind man was brought to Jesus. He put his hands on his eyes, healed him. The next time, he put mud in his eyes, told him to go wash in the pool. The other time, he told him, oh, can you see now? He said, I see like trees. He prayed for him twice. He said, what is the formula, Jesus? Is it, is it laying on of hands, or is it the application of mud, or is it the two-time prayer? Jesus doesn't want you to get a formula. He wants you to get 
him. And the only way you can get him is when you say, Lord, I don't care how you show up. I don't care about the formula. I just want you to show up in my life and lead me and guide me and direct my steps. I want your presence in my life. Es decir, Señor, no me importa cómo lo hagas, solo quiero tu presencia en mi vida. So don't get all caught up with formulas. You say, well, I went to church. I didn't cry today. It must not have been the Lord. Don't worry about that. I saw that lady over on the other side. She was crying her eyeballs out. The Lord was touching her, but not me. Don't get caught up with formulas. You got to learn to discern God's presence. Because listen, God is there whether you feel him or not. You're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to get chill bumps. You're not always going to hop, skip, and jump. Sometimes you just have to know God is there. Uh, now, I had the, the, I call it a privilege. Some people might think it's uh, confusing. But I grew up Pentecostal and I studied Baptist. So, on the one hand, growing up, it was all about feeling. I want to feel God. And you hadn't, had, you hadn't been to church till you ran around in a circle and jumped over some pews and stuff. You felt it. Don't know what I felt, but I felt something. All right? Then I went to a Baptist college, and they were not about feeling. They were about knowing. Knowing God. Knowing the Word. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? And listen, if you get all into feeling and you don't know anything, when the feelings are gone, you're in trouble. But on the other hand, it gets real dry if all you have is no. Listen, our God can be felt and he can be known. There are days when you're not going to feel him and you have to know God is present. God is there. God is on my side. And, and even if I don't feel him, if I, even if I can't sense his presence, I know that I know that I know God's going to come through in my life. Listen, when you get a bad report from the doctor, you're not standing there having a Holy Ghost night, right? Right there at that moment, you had better know God. When someone diagnoses you with cancer or some other disease, you need to know God. When somebody tells you that you're going bankrupt or that you're going to lose your case in the court, you got to know God. Listen, but there is also a place you can go with God where you can sense his presence. Where you can know that he's present, that he's there. Not just by the knowing, but by the, the, the feeling and the, the sensing of your heart, the the, the discerning of the presence of God. And, and that is what Abram is experiencing throughout his journey of his friendship with God. That there are days when God is present, he doesn't even know exactly how God is doing it. But he knows that God is there. That God is present. And when you learn the principle of presence, you can practice the presence of God Maybe practice is not a word you, you uh, follow, but you can cultivate the presence of God. 
wherever you are. In every season. How do I do that, Pastor? You start worshiping God. You're cultivating his presence. He shows off in your life when you welcome him in. Because God makes himself present to those who give him their attention. Now, the second principle we see here, as I move quickly, is the principle of the tithe. Ahora, el segundo principio que vemos aquí es el principio de la, de el diezmo. Now, listen. Abram, is, his, he's won the battle, and then he took the spoils. The spoils are all of the, the treasures that were taken during the battle. Abraham ha ganado la batalla y se ha llevado el botín. Y el botín es todo lo que se ganó en la batalla. Y ahora tiene la, la, las personas y tiene el oro y la plata y los uh, animales, todo lo que estaba incluido ahí. And the scripture says that he gave the tenth to Melchizedek. Dice la escritura que él dio el diezmo now this is the first time in the Bible that we read the word tithe or tenth. La primera vez en la Biblia que leemos la palabra diezmo. And it's not the first time that we read about the, the first fruits. No la primera vez que leemos sobre las primicias, pero sí la primera vez que se menciona el diezmo. It is the first time that the tithe is mentioned. And when we see Abram tithing to Melchizedek, uh, we see a pattern being laid out that's going to be played out throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament into the New Testament and into our time and into our day. Cuando vemos el desarrollo del diezmo, vemos que Dios establece un principio que será para siempre. Abram um, when he brings to, the, to Melchizedek, he's bringing to the Lord his tithe. And so we, we now learn the principle of the tithe. In this first mention of the word tithe, we see tithing as an act of gratitude to God. Aquí vemos el diezmo como un acto de gratitud hacia Dios. How many of you are grateful to God? Then when you are grateful, there is a response that you give to God. Cuando hay gratitud, hay una respuesta que nosotros damos hacia Dios. The next time we see the tithe, we see it in the uh, life of Jacob. And that's about chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. La próxima vez que vemos el diezmo, el capítulo 28 de Genesis, y ahí Jacob da o promete dar el diezmo. There, uh, Jacob says, Lord, if you will take me out and bring me back in. He was about to leave the promised land. Or he was about to go and, and, uh, and sojourn for a while. He said, if you'll take me out and bring me back in. I will give you the tenth of all. Jacob le dice al Señor, Señor, si tú me sacas y me traes de nuevo. Te daré el diezmo de todo. And so now we see the tithe is an act of recognition. Ahora vemos que el diezmo... Es un acto de reconocimiento. What are you recognizing when you give the tenth of your income to God? You are recognizing that everything belongs to God. 
Cuando usted trae el diezmo Usted está reconociendo Que todo le pertenece a Dios I don't hear any amens Everything belongs to God I don't know if you knew that or not Say it with me Everything belongs to God That means I belong to God My car belongs to God My bank account belongs to God My dogs belong to God if I don't have dogs But if you My sheep, my goats, my oxen No, wrong generation pastor My job belongs to God Your kids belong to God The air you breathe belongs to God Everything belongs to God And so when you bring God the tithe You're recognizing that everything belongs to you And I'm bringing you the tenth In recognition of the fact that you have allowed me To enjoy your air and your water and your life now uh, the, uh, the Bible also teaches us at, that the tithe is the first thing Exodus chapter 23 verse 19 that means when we bring to the Lord our tithe we, we're coming in gratitude we're coming in recognition and we're coming first that means we don't pay the electric company first we don't pay the mortgage first we don't give our tithe to Macy's We bring our tithe to God. When? First. When you receive a paycheck, the first thing out should be your tithe. Now you say, oh, pastor, I, I bought a Dr. Pepper this month before my tithe check got cleared. Okay, don't freak out. There's grace, okay? But there's a principle here that God comes first. When Abram ties to Melchizedek, he's recognizing, he's showing gratitude, and he's establishing this fact, you come first. Listen, everything God will take from you will be the first thing. God will never, ever, ever take the second thing. Ever. Which son did Abram want from Isaac, from, uh, which son did God want from Abram? The first son. Give me your son, your only son, the one you love. Go offer him. He wants the first thing. God will not take second place ever. Dios jamás tendrá, tomará el segundo lugar en tu vida. It's first or nothing. Dios es primero o nada. He won't take the scraps of our life. Él no tomará lo, lo que, lo que eh, queda de nuestra vida. Entonces, eh, eh, Abraham al diezmar le está mostrando que Dios va primero. Que Dios es primero. He understands in that God is first. And listen, this, this is why we need to look at this. Because if you want the blessing of God in your life, blessing follows this principle. La bendición sigue este principio. When you honor God with the first thing in your life, God pours blessing upon your life. Cuando usted honra a Dios con lo primero, Dios da bendición. When you pray, do you want God to answer your prayer last or first? Mira cómo son. 
Cuando oramos queremos que Dios nos dé la respuesta primero. Señor, primero pasa por mi casa. Come by my house first, Lord. Well, if you want God's attention first, God says, I want your first. I want to be the priority in your life. And that's not just regarding money, although it is in this case, but it is regarding our time, our prayer life, our study of the word. It's regarding our way of living life in its entirety, putting God first in everything. When you do that, God guarantees blessing in your life. There's another uh, couple of things here. The tithe is holy unto the Lord. Say that with me. The tithe is holy. That's Leviticus 27, verse 30. Levítico 27, 30. Nos dice que el diezmo, dice todo el diezmo es santo a Jehová. Leviticus 27, 30 says, thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. Would you try to take something that was holy? Would you try to touch something that was holy? The Bible prohibits that in the Old Testament. Listen, when you keep back the tithe, you're keeping back what is holy unto the Lord. When you bring the tithe to the Lord, you're saying, Lord, I recognize that this is holy. It's not mine. You say, well, I earned it. Not without God's breath you did it. Say amen, somebody. So when we realize that this is holy, God says, look, if you will honor the fact that the tithe is holy, The first 10% is holy. When you bring what's holy to the Lord, you then have what's called redemption. That when you bring, uh, when they would bring the first to the Lord, it would redeem the rest. Because listen, let me be real brief here because we're running out of time. But let me be real brief. Money has a spirit on it. All money has a spirit on it. El dinero tiene un espíritu sobre él. The Bible calls it mammon. La Biblia lo llama mammon. And that spirit is a spirit that is on money. That means uh, that mammon was a god. And so mammon wants you to think that money is God. Este espíritu es un dios, asirio. Y ese espíritu quiere que usted piense... Que el dinero es un Dios. Listen now. Money has a spirit on it. That's why when you listen to that spirit, this is what you hear. If you don't have more money, your marriage isn't going to be happy. If you don't have more money, your kids aren't going to succeed. If you don't have more money, you're not going to have joy in your life. It wants you to think that money is God instead of recognizing that God is God. So you say, Pastor, how do I get mammon off my money? You want to know? It's time to quit. We got we to stop right there. <laughs> you want to know? When you tithe, you redeem the rest of it. So when you bring to God what is holy, mammon is off the 90%. So now God is God. You understand? 
Cuando usted diezma, usted está quebrando el poder de mamón sobre su dinero. Ahora está redimiendo lo que queda en su vida. Y ahora usted baja, camina bajo el reconocimiento que todo es de Dios. Now you walk under the recognition. Everything belongs to God. Even the 90%. But God has given me the 90% and he has blessed the 90%. And if this 90% isn't enough, God will make up the shortfall in my life because money is not God. God is God. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Abram walked in blessing because he recognized this principle. God first. And when he did that, he was able to redeem the rest. Listen. If you will put God first on, on this, you will see God's blessing in your life. You say, Pastor, I'm already tithing. Good. So am I. Keep tithing. Somebody asked me, well, if you didn't have to tithe, would you still tithe? Say, First of all, I don't have to tithe. I want to tithe. And that answers your question, doesn't it? I would still tithe because I want God to be God in my life. Now, this is what God says. If you bring the tithe to the storehouse, then I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing such as you will not have room enough to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer. I'll take mammon out of your life. For your sake. Now there's one last principle in here real quick as Brother Josh comes. Back in Genesis chapter 21. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 14, verse 21. Now remember, Abram has all of this spoil that was taken out of Sodom. And he rescued the Sodomites. And he rescued Lot. And he rescued all their riches. So now it belongs to him. And he already... Pay the tithe. He has redeemed it. And the king of Sodom comes and says, Abram, you can keep the money. Just give me the people back. The citizens of Sodom, just give them back to me. But you can keep the money. I don't know how much this was worth. But let's just imagine. I don't, I don't know what the gross... Uh, wealth is of Beville. But let's just imagine that all of our bank accounts had been taken by a foreign power. Abram comes along, rescues our finances, and now Abram owns all of our bank accounts for all of Beville. It's a nice little chunk of change. And the king says, keep the money. Just give me the people back. This is what Abram does. He says, take the people and the money. Because it will not be said of me that you made me rich. This is the principle of glory. Abram walked under this principle. I could get rich right now with this one battle, but if I do that, the Sodomites are going to say, Abram is rich because he took our money. He's rich because we made him rich. Abram understood 
There's only one person in my life that's going to get credit for me being blessed. And it's not going to be Sodom. It's not going to be the culture. It's not going to be the world. The only person in my life that's going to get credit for me being blessed is God and God alone. God will get the glory for my life. Listen. God is zealous for his glory. If you want to walk in miracles, you want to walk in divine provision, you want to walk and see the goodness of God and the blessing of God, make sure God gets the glory. Because when you and I realize this is holy, this belongs to God, the credit belongs to God, God says, all right, I can trust you. To be a steward of my goodness. I can trust you to be a steward of my power in your generation and in your life. Listen, church. God alone is worthy of glory. I love our church, but God alone is worthy of glory. And I know you love me. You love your pastor. But guess what? God alone is worthy of glory. If you're blessed when I preach, it's because God's word is powerful. If you're blessed when the team leads worship, it's because the presence of God is powerful. And God has decided to breathe on regular old earthen vessels and put glory in a paper bag so that when you look at us, when you, when you look at the life of a blessed person, you're not looking at me, but you're looking to see what is on the inside. This is what I want. I want the glory that's on the inside. I want what God has deposited. And when you live by this principle, you're able to walk above. You're able to walk on top of. Those things that challenge the integrity of the Christian. The enemy wants to trip you. He wants to rob you of your integrity. But when you walk in the principle of glory, you realize everything I have belongs to God. God gets the glory. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's give the glory to God for a few moments tonight. Just lift your hands. I just give him glory.